0: (laughs) . Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where the things we kind of pass by during daytime and say, oh, come on, give me a break. This time of night, you know, you kind of take a second look. And uh, as I've said so many times on air before, the things we used to only talk about at this time of night, well, now they're occurring 24-7. I mean, our life has turned into science fiction. Our politics have turned into howdy-doody. And um, gosh, I could, I could keep extending the metaphors. But tonight's show is a very special show. This is a kind of a memorial show to a friend and colleague who is no longer with us, um, Art Bell. And our, our guest this evening is an old friend of mine, Howard Hughes, who, whose whole career was kind of jump-started by listening to art. And as you all know, I would not be sitting in this chair doing this program if it hadn't been for art. And we'll get into the details of some of that because people, people love background. They love details. They love you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, this is kind of uh, kind of bittersweet because art, art in his career changed so many lives. And in fact, I'm going to argue tonight that he changed the field of broadcasting. The whole concept of alternative media, the the extraordinary number now of broadcasters on TalkStream Live and and other outlets where you can see all kind of different uh, takes on on current news, on the kind of things that Art used to do, up to and including shadow people. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna have you know it, it's probably you know incongruous to say we're gonna have fun tonight, but. But Art would not want us to mourn. Art would want us to celebrate because his stint in the vineyards, his time behind that microphone, and if you go to the other side of midnight.com and you click on the uh, graphic, there's Art in in his element. That's Art Tour de Force, Art Bell. That was Art first, last, and always behind the mic, changing the world one audience member at a time. I mean, that's, that's really an extraordinary thing to be able to say to someone that they have, they've actually moved the curve, they've moved history. Well, as you're going to hear tonight, you know, Art uh, did a lot of things that maybe you are not aware of. So tonight is going to be a tour de force on Art Bell and how he changed not only the big picture, broadcasting in the large, but two ordinary people who would not be sitting in front of these microphones if it hadn't been for Art. So, let me back up a bit. Um, We've had some other sad news this week. Uh, As you know, Barbara Bush died uh, just a couple, three days ago. If you go to our homepage, TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com, and you click on uh, the the graphic for tonight's show page, you'll see a, a picture there on both pages. This was Barbara Bush, the Barbara Bush that I got to know briefly. Because we opened up something many years ago called the Enterprise Mission as an educational experiment at Dunbar Senior High, just off Capitol Hill. And we, I mean, that, that's a whole story in itself. I don't want to get bogged down on that. But ultimately, uh, the Enterprise Mission, which was a pioneering educational experiment, utilizing computers and satellites and connections with NASA and all that, we basically designed for those kids a starship patterned after another friend of mine who's no longer with us, Gene Roddenberry. And we called it the USS Dunbar because that was the name of the high school, Dunbar Senior High there in Washington. And on October 10th um, of, of 1990, uh, the First Lady visited Dunbar because, of course, education was her forte. She was fanatic, and she did an awful lot to upgrade education from coast to coast uh, in, in these visits and in her you know, speaking engagements and in her engagement with local community leaders all across the country. Well, she came to Dunbar to see what the enterprise mission was like. And if you, if you look under her picture there, which is an actual picture taken during uh, a briefing that the kids set up to brief the first lady on you know, what, what they were doing, what they were learning. Um, she, her quote there is what really impresses me is that you're having a lot of fun while learning. Because what we had done is we created this starship motif. And I remember that first briefing with me telling the kids what we were going to do. And later, one of them came up to me and he said, you know, Richard, he said, um, this was months and months and months into what we were doing. He said, that first day, he said, I thought you were just a nutty white guy. And uh, we kind of moved from there into an extraordinary adventure where in terms of education as miss bush said we had a lot of fun they had a lot of fun in learning and i still get mail from those kids from around the world now because they've all you know this was back in the early 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 90s 1990 people go on to have careers they go on to have families and jobs and it's it's amazing some of the letters that i still get from kids who remember that experience and Someday, you know, if, if God's willing and the crick don't rise, as Tennessee Ernie Ford used to say, it would be nice to continue the Enterprise mission as it was originally envisioned, which was not as a research outfit, which is what it is now, and not as an adjunct to this radio show, The Other Side of Midnight, as it is now, but as it would have been envisioned back when we were creating it, which was a, a mechanism of connecting schools and students and kids and people all over the world, so we could knock out literally one wall of the classroom and make that other wall any other place on or off earth the technology exists now to transmit from a future hope. So let me kind of give you some context for what we're going to talk about tonight. if If we go to uh, the other side of midnight dot com, click on the graphics, scroll down on the show page. You'll see a really gorgeous image there of art in his heyday. Um, art was so at home behind a mic, so at home surrounded by equipment. I mean, that's how I remember. It's, that's the quintessential art that I will remember till I no longer am on this mortal coil. But if you keep scrolling down, you'll see item number four. Well, I, actually, I missed three. Item three is a, is a, uh, a column, a blog that uh, Joseph Farrell wrote very elegant to art. In fact, let's dip into it, and let me just kind of read a couple of lines from uh, what he said, if I can find where it is, because that link seems to go to his general page, and I can't find his blog. Oh, why can't I find his blog? Where is his blog? Uh, darn, 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 darn. Um, I thought that went to his web, to the actual blog, but it goes to his overall website, and I can't find where he actually wrote about art. Oh, well, during the next break, I'll go find it and I will uh, uh, quote from it. But he has some very interesting and perceptive things to say about art and his stint as a broadcaster. And uh, his, his opinion is, like ours is going to be tonight, that uh, art basically changed broadcasting. And we'll get into the details. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Hoagland. Okay. There we are. Let me, let me kind of quote here just for a moment. He says, it's rare that I ever take time to note the death of a celebrity or famous person or politician. Here, however, I will make an exception because Art Bell was and will always remain an exceptional man in the world of journalism. I will wager there is no regular reader of this website or for that matter of any major alternative research website that has not tremendously been affected by Art Bell. For years, Bell presided over the microphone of Dreamland, a weekly program that aired on Sunday nights and ran during the wee hours of the morning, and the subject of discussion were all those taboo subjects that never make the mainstream news nor are ever discussed in a serious fashion by the quack media. Bell gave it serious airtime, sought out interviewed serious guests, and had a passion for the subject he interviewed about, from UFOs and government cover-ups Black Research Projects, Cryptozoology, Monuments and Ruins on Mars, Here, here, Bigfoot, Witches in the Occult, Roman Catholic Exorcist, his interviews with Dr. Uh, doctor, with Father Malachi Martin, the best out there, you name it, he did it. And it goes on. And so I would recommend strongly that you uh, take a look at uh, the rest of Farrell's musings because he kind of hits it on the head. It's uh Art was one of a kind and he started a a process, he started an avalanche, which is continuing to roll downhill. It's continuing to gather steam. In fact, were it not for art, I really believe we would not have anything like alternative media, certainly filling the internet, and of course now creeping up in mainstream broadcast terrestrial radio stations. There's an awful lot of people. I mean, think of Alex Jones. Where would Alex Jones be if Art had not blazed the trail before Jones took to the air and did all the things that he is both renowned for and critiqued for and uh, criticized for and you name it. But see, discussion and many points of view on subjects familiar and subjects unfamiliar, that was that was Art Bell. And as, as Joseph said a moment ago, um, Art made taboo subjects, mainstream and we're going to talk about that so now go down to item number four after months and months and months nasa has finally got a new uh leader and if you click on that it will take you to an article in the atlantic and i'll read you a couple things here um lawmakers voted 50 to 49 boy that's that's really a hair hair trigger on thursday to approve the nomination of jim bridenstine a Republican congressman from Oklahoma for the new NASA administrator, following months of debate over his qualifications and growing uncertainty over leadership at the agency. The vote was split along party lines, and for a few tense moments, it seemed like maybe one Republican senator, Jeff Flake from Arizona, would join Democrats in their opposition. Tammy Duckworth, the Democrat from Illinois, who has been away from the Hill after having a baby earlier this month, came to the Senate floor to cast her vote in case Flake didn't flip with her newborn daughter in tow. After 15 months without an administrator, the last one was Charlie Bolden, the new administrator was sworn in. This is the longest NASA has been without a permanent chief since its origins. Um, And you could go on and on and read all that. But the interesting thing about Bridenstine is he's a obvious hand-picked choice is that a phrase? Well, it is now, uh, of our current president. And that means that uh, there's an awful lot of controversy and an awful lot of discussion. And it's going to be very interesting to see what Bridenstine does in the era of Musk and the era of Jobs and the era of, um, uh, you know, our, our guy from Amazon who is launching rockets in a program called uh, Origins Blue Origins. I mean, The field is moving from government to private enterprise. And it's going to be interesting to see what Bridenstine, who has some very intriguing ideas, even though he doesn't have a science background, remember the most famous and important and pivotal NASA administrator in its history, James Webb, who created the mechanism of taking us to the moon under Kennedy. He didn't have a science background either. So I'm kind of uh, an agnostic on, on Bridenstine and I wait to see with great interest where he leads this agency in an era of extraordinary change both on earth and in space item number five there is a meteor shower tonight and tomorrow night the Lyrids. and if you've been listening to some of our past shows particularly those that i've done with chris knowles you know that lyra the constellation of lyra which represents, depending upon how you squint and your, you know, your cultural background, either a vulture or an eagle, um, is a very important uh, constellation in the pantheon of constellations in the sky that have really interesting, deep meanings. And sometime soon, we're going to do another show with Chris, and we're going to talk about something that he discovered just a few days ago. It turns out that Lyra, this really extraordinarily intriguing constellation from which our first interstellar visitor, remember Oumuamua, the object zipping in and out of the solar system a few months ago, last October, first time visitor, never to come back. That came from Lyra and thereby hangs a tale. I don't want to give anything away, but Chris discovered something so extraordinary that actually connects the constellation of Lyra to the founding of the United States of America and its place in, of all places, the great seal. I don't want to give it away, because we'll kind of you know, tease that for when we get Chris back on. Item number six in our roster this morning, they've been doing some interesting stuff in Arizona, and they have got, you know, webcams are everywhere now. You've got security cameras, you've got people taking pictures, taking selfies, running around with, smartphones that have cameras, you know, clicking back and forth, up and down. Something was spotted in Phoenix a few days ago on, I think, the 11th of April. And if you go to that link, it says bizarre purple beams and UFOs in Phoenix skies spark harp weather control frenzy. Because not only is this a video of something that definitely is not an aircraft zipping behind the the mountains just outside Phoenix. But in the foreground, suddenly there is this purple spiral, a torsion wave spiral that goes up and out of frame and down and into frame and pretty, pretty interesting. And I don't know whether I buy that it's the harp stuff, but it's certainly somebody using some kind of energy in a vorticular matrix, which is what made it interesting to me, Because vortices and spirals, um, you know, it's back to torsion field physics. Rotation, rotation, rotation. Well, what we're going to do tonight is kind of a this is your life of art through the eyes of two people who have been very, shall we say, influenced by Art Bell's life, his career, his friendship. And I, I decided to do this properly. I would reach across the pond and I would get my my friend Howard who uh, works London's two biggest radio shows. He spent 10 years writing and reading news, traveling the world, and winning awards on Capital Radio's Chris Tarrant Breakfast Show. He then spent two years doing the same with Nick Ferry on LBC. In recent years, he's been working with Talk Radio and the BBC, where he's filled in for legendary broadcasters like Ann Diamond and Tony Blackburn. In Howard's years on air at National News Service, IRN, he broke news of the Gulf War and the fall of the Berlin Wall. On Capitol, he told London about the death of Princess Diana and reported live from Ground Zero in New York. He's been heard on stations nationwide, including Radio City 96.7, TalkSport, BRMB, Power FM, Ocean FM, BFBS, Country Sound Radio, and many more. He's also heard as a voiceover on TV shows, including eight years as the live commentary voice on the British Comedy Awards for a UK audience of up to 14 million. Howard now has been doing his own show, The Unexplained, online and on air since 2004, featuring guests as varied as astronaut Edgar Mitchell, David Icke, Graham Hancock, Harvard space professor Abby Loeb, and moi, me, Howard. Howard Hughes, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight.
1: Richard, thank you so much for the introduction. And you know, when you read that introduction, it almost sounds like you're talking about somebody else. Is this the guy (laughs) from Liverpool who was born on the wrong side of the tracks, who ended up living his dreams? And I guess hearing you read that, the penny drops. It probably is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is different because, you know, I've I've done your show many times, and uh, many, many thanks. Uh, Robin and I went to London a few years ago, and we had an extraordinary adventure during the day. I think it was the day we were leaving London. We spent the entire day with you, and we wound up at uh, some interesting French restaurant on the banks (laughs) of the Thames in the pouring rain. And we had a gorgeous time, but it was London and it rained that night. So, Okay, so where should we start? Uh, Probably um, that brief summation of the stuff you've done let, let's go back, because because obviously art has been an influence on both of us. Why don't we start with this is your life, Howard? How did you get into broadcasting, and how did art become a a kind of a focus of your broadcast life?
1: Gee, how long have you got? Um, Three hours. Kid from kid from <laughs> Liverpool. Okay, we can tell the full unexpurgated yeah. Story no, we've got I time. Can cut this out and keep it myself uh, one of these days when I need reminding. But, you know, I was a kid from Liverpool and I was born in the wake of the Beatles era. So the focus of the world was Liverpool. Now, I've got to tell you that Liverpool was a very, very special place to be born and brought up. Liverpool, if you look at it, and you really have to come and see it, I've been saying, well, in fact, you have been to see it, So, but you didn't see nearly enough of it. Um, Liverpool is like New York. It has gridiron streets. The architecture looks similar. And of course, in the day... And this includes some of my relatives who went both legally and illegally uh, back in the Great Depression days. We have a tremendous link with America. So America was in my heart and in my bones from my very beginnings. In fact, uh, as a three-year-old child, if you'd asked me, I I would have told you that I was an American. It was so much a part of me. I had, and we all had, relatives who were in uh, what the Liverpoolians called the Merchant Navy. That's a Liverpool accent, the Merchant Navy. And they would travel back and forth. I had an uncle, Ronnie who used to go to New York, and he would bring back records, and he would bring back toys that we'd never seen over here in the UK before. This is an era before everything was available everywhere, right? So I was in that sense, very much connected to America. Now, for a guy who was born to a policeman father and a secretary mother, uh, I had theatrical and broadcasting leanings from the very beginning. I would sit on the swing in our garden and I would sing the lyrics to the latest pop songs to the neighbors who strangely (laughs) enough uh, loved it. So my mother realized I was always going to be somebody who performed. I think that was pretty clear from the age of four that I was gonna do something like that. Uh, And my heroes as I grew up and got interested in shortwave radio were always the American ones. So I would go cold and quiet whenever they reran Rowan and Martin's Laughing on TV. And Gary Owens would say, beautiful downtown Burbank. And I used to see that guy cupping his ear and think, I want to stand at a big RCA microphone and say those words. So America was my biggest influence. Now that's done me no favors uh, with organizations like the BBC over here, because I copied a lot of the things I heard going out in America. So they oh am listening to... The Voice of America. And I was also able to receive, I mean, you're getting the full story here if if you've time for it, uh, to receive the raw feed of um, information, of features for the American forces stations, which used to be carried on a shortwave transmitter not very far from Liverpool. So you could hear it loud and clear. And I would hear things like, Paul Harvey, good day. Mm. Uh, And all of those various features being sent as a raw feed to uh, America's radio stations for the forces, the troops in Europe. So again, there was another influence there. So people like Paul Harvey became part of my life. And uh, Casey Kasem's American Top 40 in the 70s became a part of my life. And then I started DXing, as I would know that term. DXing is long-distance listening. Shortwave listeners, AM radio listeners know all about DXing. You know, We're dumping AM radio in, in Europe here. We're going digital, and that's a big, big shame. At least you're keeping it there. I would stay up until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning trying to hear in Liverpool during the winter months when it's dark both sides of the Atlantic, WABC, oh God, Pittsburgh, uh, VOCM from St. John's, Newfoundland, the only V station in Canada, all the others are C uh, prefix. So I would stay up doing that. So I, as we say over here, you know, I kind of bought the T-shirt, sent the postcard, I earned my credentials and the people who I revered well, the guys with the big voices are 10 10 wins. You give us 20 minutes, we'll give you the word. So, this was, this was I mean, at school, they thought I was a complete nut. Um, I had to, in those days, in order to be able to broadcast, you had to smooth out your accent. So, I had to lose my Liverpool accent, which was a little bit like that. Uh, very Paul McCartney, you know, sort of that's. Oh, my. Uh, and I had to try and train myself to speak better, which I now instinctively do. In fact, I have to affect a Liverpool accent, <laughs> uh, whereas it was my Liverpool accent. It's bizarre, and people don't have to do those things now, but you did back then. So radio was what it was to be. I eventually, cutting a very long story, very short, by building a little studio at home with turntables and a little Radio Shack battery-powered mixer and a Sony battery-powered ECM microphone, um, I started making demo tapes, sending them all over the place, and surprise, surprise, 16 years of age, radio stations were interested in me. This coincided with the launch of the Liverpool commercial station Radio City, 24-7 24-7 operation, first time we'd had one of those in my area. Uh, they took an interest in me too. Now, I was just a boy. I won a disc jockey competition because I didn't want to do news then. I wanted to play records. And again, because well, of you know, very Well, you know, bit.
0: Howard, that, that's how Art started. He started as a, as, as a disc jockey. Spinning, know, spinning platters, spinning records. One
1: of the reasons I admired him, because when I first heard him, and we'll get into that story as part of this, but when I first heard him, I admired his artistry. If you will pardon the expression, I admired the fact that coming out of a guest and going up to break, he'd weave in nothing but a heartache and he'd say, you know, I'm Art Bell, we'll be right back. And he would hit the vocal every damn time. Uh, That's a disc jockey technique that, you know, I can do that too uh, when my hands are on the controls, not when I'm in a driven show uh, where somebody else is playing everything out. But if I'm doing it myself, as I do on the BBC, then I do that too. But I appreciated that. Now, I know that, you know, your time is probably more limited than you're telling me. So we've got to get up to the point where I find myself influenced by Art Bell. Uh, I worked my way through the ranks of various local radio stations, got to London, as you do, uh, did national news, and as you said in that uh, little resume there, ended up reporting on the fall of the Berlin Wall and various other things, and became one of the voices of national commercial radio news in this country quite young. Uh, People would recognize me, which was a a very strange thing. Uh, I then joined the BBC uh, to launch a brand new radio station called Radio Berkshire. This is in the 90s. It didn't work out particularly. I was not a BBC person. I wasn't a public radio person. I was commercial to my bones. So I left after a year and ended up on the biggest commercial radio station in London, Capital Radio, on the Morning Drive show, which, if I tell you numerically, it was, was as big as Scott Shannon or uh, what's that, Ryan Seacrest, any of those shows numerically in terms of the millions in a big city, we were that size. And I was the breakfast morning drive news guy. I used to write it, uh, put together snappy bulletins and deliver them. I was also a character on the show. And I would go around the world with the show. Plus, I'd report the big news stories like uh, 9-11 and all the rest of it. During this period, I got my first computer started listening to stuff on the net. And on the first day of owning a computer with a 28K dial-up modem, a Dell computer. Oh my God, 28K. 28K uh, modem, later upgraded to a 56, uh, which was supposed to be state-of-the-art then. I heard this man talking about all the stuff that I've always been interested in all my life and and had featured on various radio shows. But he was a man doing a show about it. And as I learned more about him, I realized that this guy was a one-man band which has always been my aspiration. I've always believed, and certainly when I was doing news in London, I was under you know, under no one's control particularly. The overall boss would occasionally say, I want it done this way. But mostly I did my own thing in my own studio that they built for me in London. So I wanted to control my own operation. He was a guy in America in Pahrump, Nevada, doing it. <laughs> I had to get to know more about this guy and I had to become a European version of him. Part of me wanted him to notice me, right? I kind of want, and eventually, of course, uh, I'm sure we can tell this. We will story get later, to
0: there. Yeah, but, yeah we will get, get there.
1: Get to notice me. But he was a massive influence on my life and introduced me to a cast of characters, including yourself, Richard, who featured on my London News. I mean, look, nobody in London was talking about Y2K. Uh, Art was talking about Y2K six months before anybody else. And I started doing it. Why? Because I heard him do it. So that was the beginning of his enormous influence on the direction that my life has taken from that point, which was 1997 or so, to the present day. I would not have done any of the things that I have done. I wouldn't be speaking to you from my own little home studio were it not for Art better. I'll tell you so what, hold place, it
0: there. We're at the bottom of the hour, and it. we will pick it up on the other side. My guest this morning is Howard Hughes, a very celebrated broadcaster in Britain. You've heard he's done there, been there, carried out almost anything you can imagine in broadcasting, and then Art Bell comes along, and things change. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. This is one of Art's favorites, ABBA Surprise Surprise. For a place to go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. when well, well, the right music and in extreme, You come to me mm-hmm. Anybody could be that guy Not as young and the music's high. hour of the other side of midnight. Be sure to catch our complete live show every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, for a full three hours of this kind of exploration. And be sure to visit TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com as you listen, so you can follow our special Radio with Pictures guest page simultaneously. The Kinthea, our hardworking producer, specifically prepares to illustrate the topics discussed each show. Why? because there is vital additional information on that Radio with Pictures guest page that I assure you will immeasurably enhance your understanding and enjoyment what our guests are describing. I mean, would you rather listen to a guest talk about NASA images of ancient artifacts on Mars or simultaneously be able to follow the official NASA images showing you, as you're listening, the ruins? If you'd like to listen at your convenience to all our shows, including our unique radio pictures feature, please visit TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. Okay, what do you get with your Club 19.5 membership, besides helping the show literally stay on the air? Well, first of all, you will exclusively—this is not available to the general public—enjoy our enhanced ad-free podcast, Courtesy of Chris Bell automatically downloading all the latest The Other Side of Midnight shows directly to your favorite podcast device, so you can listen when you want to. Further, as a full Club 19.5 member, you will gain exclusive access to our The Other Side of Midnight 24-7 chat server, what I can't help calling the Open Hailing Frequencies room, which is available only to members 24-7. Now, during the show, that's where you will find other 19.5 members and sometimes even members of the bridge crew, my guests, and even me uh, when I have time. Regardless, you can always relay live questions to me during the show just by going to the Open Hailing Frequencies room. Of course, when we're not on the air with your 19.5 membership, you can visit our club 19.5 radio archives anytime and download all our shows directly to your computer which will automatically provide you a screen size that allows you to really examine the remarkable images Kinthea posts for each show. Okay. <clears throat> Here's where I need to get kind of super serious. Club 19.5 is how our show is currently solely supported in my, hopefully not vain attempt to keep commercials <clears throat> to a minimum. If you're concerned about keeping us on the year, If you want to hear information that has been vetted far more than perhaps any other show, the best way to ensure that is to join Club 19.5 and get your friends and family to join too. And if you don't know already, when I drop by Open Hailing Frequencies, you can even ask me directly what the ultimate meaning is behind 19.5, literally the most exclusive club in the world. Please join me and my interesting guests on this very stream every Saturday and Sunday night at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, and be sure to come back and listen to our live three-hour shows. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
1: <laughs> if you need me, chance,
0: and
1: and welcome
0: back on this Saturday night this is our Art Bill Memorial And normally memorials are kind of sad, but you know, how can you be sad when you hear ABBA and you think of Art doing what Art loved to do? Behind that mic, talking into the night and changing, literally, not an overstatement, changing the world. You know it's so, so funny because when I hear that Howard, I I, I get chills thinking of, of uh, you know they're on, on Talkstream. They're they're running all kinds of programs now. They're running me. They're running you. They're running art. You know, twenty four seven. You can go to the new paranormal uh, links. On talk stream live and you can get all these shows and i happen to listen because we're you know getting ready to do this show and i happen to just click on art one of art's uh, broadcasts and it was one that he and i and a guy named larry hunter had done i think back in 1994 and damn it if it wasn't it, it was it was riveting because what we were discussing larry had just gotten back from egypt where he had been able to report on clandestine secret digging inside the Great... I mean, I'd forgotten all this. Inside the Great Pyramid, where he'd been able to actually get a couple samples of the rocks that they had excavated into the secret tunneling that Hawass had obviously had commissioned with no one knowing. And he was able to get them through customs, bring them back to Los Angeles, and he mailed Art and me a piece of stone dug out from inside the Great Pyramid in that secret tunneling project. And I've got to tell you this story because it's so wacko. I mean, years later, he lost that stone. I don't know how he did it. He lost the stone. But about two or three weeks later, he tells me again on the air, and I'm sure it's running on the air somewhere on, you know, our 24 seven. He tells me the story, how he put it in a drawer in his bedroom and he forgot about it. And then a few weeks later, He goes in, uh, he and Ramona were going somewhere and he had to get a watch. So he goes into the bedroom, it's dark. He opens the drawer to find the watch. He doesn't turn on the light because he knows kind of where he put the watch, you know. He opens the drawer and he said this incredible light flooded out of the drawer from the piece of stone that Larry had sent him from Giza. Stone from the Great Pyramid. I mean, that was art. And we then went back and forth on the physics of what it was, and I wanted to do some measurements, and then he lost it. Uh, people actually broke into my house and took mine. They literally stole it while I was having my heart attack back in uh, Miami. So I don't have a piece of it, and and Art didn't have the, that one, you know, from the time that we talked about it until the day he died. But I would love to know what it was that caused this incredible glow, because apparently... He had the the stone sitting next to a radium dial watch, and it was the watch that was glowing fiercely. So some property, some torsion field physics property of this piece of limestone that Larry had sent to him because of Art Bell on the radio, you know, Dreamland, all of that sequence of events led to a serendipitous discovery because I didn't put mine next to a radium dial watch. That was art just by accident. And unfortunately, we couldn't duplicate it because, you know, the politics now of, of Egypt are such you can't take stones out anymore. And that was a brief moment in time that came to me as an insight into how this physics works, how that stone from the pyramid somehow amplified the effect of the decay of radium in the radium valve. I mean, we even discussed the fact that uh, art you you know you might have gotten you know, a slight dose of radiation because what obviously was happening is that the stone, the little piece of rock, it was about the size of, uh, what would it be, maybe, maybe like a half of a CD, something like that. You can put it in the palm of your hand. That somehow had an effect on the radium in the watch to make the radium decay faster, which was my first clue that this physics could affect decay rates And if you can affect decay rates by changing the physics, that means there goes radiocarbon dating, there goes, you know, the thorium uranium lead series for ancient, ancient geological structures. And that serendipitous event was all because Art Bell took something that was sent to him, put it in a drawer, and then faithfully reported something extraordinary when he opened that drawer in a darkened bedroom.
1: And to borrow Art Bell's pronunciation, I always used to love the way he used to pronounce the word question. He would say, The question, the question is, who didn't, did you, or rather, who wouldn't want you to own that? In other words, who took it from you?
0: Well, yeah. And who, I must, I don't think he misplaced it. I think someone took it from, because we've talked about this on the radio. And people in the audience, and, you know, there is bad guys as well as good people listening in the audience, they knew that he got one and I got one. So they must have taken the opportunity like they did with me when he wasn't at home. They went in and found it and simply took because he could never find it again. And, you know, he wasn't that scatterbrained. I mean, I'm sure that he put it in a place where he thought he put it, but he could never he could never retrieve it. And I know mine was was purloined. Mine was taken away. So someone did not want us to know that pieces from the Great Pyramid have incredibly uh, active interaction with the torsion field.
1: Which brings us to another point, really. The fact that, and we'll get back to this, I'm sure, art always seemed to be at the center of everything. If there was somebody (laughs) attempting to fly a light plane into Area 51, if there was a time traveler about, if anything was happening that was at the very cutting edge of the sorts of things we talk about on shows like this, art would probably be somewhere at the peak of the pyramid. Uh, to uh, maybe mix a metaphor there, but he would be at the heart of it. And that is the hallmark of great radio. You never quite know what's going to happen next, but you know, if you listen for a while, something is going to happen. And that's one of the many things that made him special to his audience, uh, leaving aside the many things that made him special to both you and me, Richard.
0: It was, you know, I I still haven't really come to grips with the idea that he's no longer with us. I mean, I, I expect, you know, that we'll tune in and, Having him on on tape, you know, 24/7 is interesting because there's such a panoply of stuff he covered. He covered everything, and I do not think it's an overstatement that he dragged, kicking and screaming, an awful lot of these fringe, taboo topics into the mainstream just by stint of his personality and his audience, and the fact that numbers in the broadcast field, you know, numbers are are what what they what they pay attention to.
1: Well, he, he won an award, didn't he? I, I've read an awful lot about him over the last few days. Uh, he won an award for promulgating bad science. And I think he took that from the tenor of his reply as a badge of honor. Oh, yeah. That was if somebody, by, if somebody that, gave me that award, I'd say that.
0: That's by that crackpot group in New York State. Uh, what do they call it? syscop
1: You know, the Committee uh, yes, um, for... Uh, well, whatever, but the advancement of uh, general skeptical scientific... You know, skeptical, whatever, in, yeah, you know, uh, the Skeptical yeah, Inquiry. Skeptical quotes. Inquiry. Yep, yeah. yep. And they gave him an award for that, for promulgating bad science and not asking the right questions. Uh, And in fact, he took that in the right spirit. He didn't ignore it. He didn't come back uh, acidly to it. He just kind of thanked them very much because if that's what they think, then the man is doing his job.
0: Well, you know what P.T. Barnum said, don't you? I don't care what you say about me just as long as you spell my name right.
1: Yes. And, you know, there's there's no such thing as bad publicity. No. If you're getting publicity, that's uh, a marvelous thing.
0: So let's go back to your life. This is your life, Howard. Um well, well, it's time. You, you it's get time. your computer, it's, it's 28K, <laughs> and you suddenly can get, via streaming, a, a concept that both of us had no idea what that meant back then, you get to hear the dulcet tones of Art Bell, not through the air, not through shortwave, not through skip AM and all that, but because of the internet
1: a remarkable thing to be able to do and it's still magic to me to an extent and i then discovered that they were highly illegal you know the uk is more regulated in so many ways than the united states Uh, but i then discovered how to get hold of a little handheld fm transmitter of course you can buy these things quite openly now but in those days you had to import them from america or find somebody who might be able in this country to sell you one so i got a little fm transmitter And life was pretty hard when I was at Capital Radio. It was a morning drive shift. It was pretty full on and you had to deliver. So my free time was the weekend. Sunday mornings would be my art bell time. And I would put his shows on an FM transmitter and they would be Sunday morning time for me, bearing in mind the time difference. And usually my neighbors here in the complex that I live in would be able to hear continuous art bell for several hours on on (laughs) 83.3. So that that became part of my life. But it influenced me enormously and introduced me, as we were saying before the break, uh, to a cast of characters, you know, uh, Major Ed Dames, yourself. um, And Seth Shostak came to London and at Capital Radio, I was offered an interview and they said, there's this guy, he's some UFO person, his name, not Seth Shostak. Um, oh. I'm sorry, it's Stanton Friedman. Oh, okay. Stanton Friedman, who, of course, recently has retired from the public lecture circuit, he tells me. But Stanton Friedman was visiting London. Seth Shostak has, I'm sure, as well. He was another friend from the show. As uh, Seth Shostak from SETI, by the way. I'm sure you know this if you listen. <sighs> but uh, Stan was uh, in London. And his PR people, whoever was representing him, got in touch with Capital, And somebody at Capitol said, uh, Howard, I don't know whether you're going to want to talk to this guy. He talks about UFOs. I said, who is it? Stanton Friedman. I said, get him in. So I had Stanton Friedman in 1988, uh, 1998 in my studio and did an interview with him.
0: Now, when did, w- when, kind of, hang on, hang on. When did this
1: show air? Uh, well, no, this was part of my news. Don't forget, I was a news guy. So I was trying to weave the stuff that uh-huh. I was getting from Art Bell into the news bulletins listen i pushed the boundaries and the envelope (laughs) so much the first time he retired i put it at the end of my news in london to say that one of the most people in london wouldn't have heard of him but to say one of the world's biggest radio personalities has decided to quit on the air overnight and it's a sensation in america which of course it was for a time and i even am responsible for getting and this is a totally unknown story that i'm telling you now here for the first time Uh, it's been long forgotten there's a radio station that I also worked for for a while called LBC. It's the main commercial talk station in London, or was. Now there are alternatives, but then there were not alternatives. Um, LBC was a big deal, big noise, and I knew the boss, Nick Wheeler, at the time. He'd been my boss at Capital, and we were great friends. And I was always going on, oh, no, on, no, no, on about Art Bell. This guy's a genius. <laughs> Got to hear. Got to hear. So I nagged Nick so much that I think he was either going to strangle me or contact Art Bell. And he contacted Art Bell, and Art Bell actually did one show on LBC on an Easter bank holiday years and years ago. Uh, and I don't think it got a lot of publicity, and I don't think it achieved what it was meant to. But the fact that Art Bell got one show on in London on one public holiday is actually down to me. And oh my that is a story. God that no one knows, and I'm telling it here for the first time. Everyone's forgotten. This would have been about 2000, 2001. Art Bell did a special for London. Wow. I wonder if that's recorded somewhere. Well, I, you see, the trouble with uh, the ownership of LBC is it's been so checkered. It's been in four or five different ownerships uh, since its inception in the early 70s. The problem is that, uh, as I know, because I went through some of these moves, Whenever they changed ownership and changed location, the boxes of tapes would go with them and a lot of stuff would get thrown out. So I have a feeling, and I've been checking online today to see if anybody has a copy of that. I don't. Uh, but if anybody does, I'd be very pleased to hear from you. Um, but I don't think so. I think the tape has probably disappeared, but I swear the story is true, that Art Bell made one appearance. And my hope was at that time, because I wasn't doing a show like that, was that I would establish him in the UK and then somehow try to make some kind of connection with him was the thinking process going on in my brain. Logical. Um, so there you go. that's a story that is totally unheard until
0: now. You know, I wonder because art would record everything himself. I wonder if in his own estate, seems weird to talk about art's estate, there there's a digital version or or a CD or or a tape or whatever. Uh, because he he you know he recorded everything. So I, I imagine that if we could reach art's people, we may be able to find that particular show because he was well, organized.
1: Total collector's item. All I remember is the trail that ran for it. Uh, I managed not to hear the show because it was aired at some weird time, and I was always working doing something else. But the trail for it was uh, "Want to take a ride? I'm Art Bell, oh and I do God. this in America. And uh, if you want to hear me, this is the time slot. But I think they mis-scheduled him. I think they put him on on a late slot on a station where the the demographic profile of the station, various other factors. And it was a public holiday, of course. So that means in London, a lot of people are out of town, just like New York. People desert the city uh, on public holidays. So a lot of people didn't get to hear it. So that was an opportunity missed, I think. But, you know, art had much bigger fish to fry uh, elsewhere, as we know. Mm.
0: By the way, if you scroll down to the bottom of the uh, show page tonight, uh, go all the way to the bottom. It's uh, we have a, a a memorial comment section for people, and they've been logging on. and There's some. I'm going to read some of these later because they're really, really profoundly interesting grassroots responses to art. There's also celebrities, and leading the celebrity list, uh, there's there's William Shatner. William hmm. Shatner uh, surprised, you know, uh, Howard was an Art Bell fan. He says, Heard Art Bell has passed. Condolences to his family. And David Navarro on Twitter. Thank you, Art Bell, for years of entertainment and information. Rest in peace. And there's Waylon Jennings' son and recording artist. So there's a whole bunch of them uh, JT the Brick, um, Joshua Molina, uh, Hillary Burton, and Josh Groben. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, you can read all those and you can also post your own comments and I'll read some of the comments that people have posted later in the show. Um, so so you really decided 6,000, 8,000, however many miles separated you from art, that after all the other stuff you've done, you yeah. wanted to become the British
1: Art Bell. It was a light bulb moment. I mean, that was in 1997, the first time I heard him. I said out loud, this is what I have to do. And it was just a compulsion. I was impelled to make it happen. And I was determined to make it happen. Of course, life is a happenstance thing. You never know quite how it's going to develop. You never know quite which particular paths you will take. So the process yeah, I of call making those, happen.
0: I call those nodal points, you know, when life kind of presents <laughs> you with a, an opportunity and you've got two choices. One is to take a risk, mm. or in the words of Abba, take a chance. I mean, mm. art took a chance on all of us. That's how he built his program by taking chance after chance after chance. Mm. And so you had this big decision. Do I? Because obviously the whole Bell format, the whole Bell paradigm was kind of in daytime taboo over there.
1: I think at any time, somewhat taboo over here, people are more skeptical and even to an extent more cynical about it, or they were, I don't think they are now. I certainly have got a very good audience for this, but we're talking about a previous era, but Brits are people who are very hard to convince about these things that they would rather disbelieve. I wanted to bring to it my journalistic training. So wait, 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 wait. wait. Britain,
0: Britain is the home of seances and haunted <laughs> castles <laughs> and mansions and- And don't
1: forget Arthur Conan Doyle- oh, who was yeah. the Ghost Club in this country. So a lot of these people were connected, but Brits tend to lead a double life. You know, on one side of it, if you mention some of these things, and look, let's talk, we're talking 15, 20 years ago now. I think it's different now. If you mention these topics in common conversation, people would often say to your face, oh, that's so wacko, that's ridiculous, that's stupid, and of course there's no truth in it. But they probably go home, and if there was something on the TV about ancient aliens or about uh, the face on Mars, Richard, they'll be rapt and really interested in it. So I think there's a, it's not a hypocrisy. Let's not so say that. So,
0: so your countrymen were kind of about this material, these subjects, the way they were in the Victorian era where in public sex was taboo and behind the scenes it was Katie bar the door.
1: Well, I've never quite made a comparison between sex and these issues, but uh, since you mentioned it, I think, I think that's that's very much the same kind of attitude. So I faced a certain amount of opposition, but I was determined, I've always been determined, to try and instill within it a journalistic credibility. Well,
0: I remember so- one of our first conversations you said, can you introduce me to art?
1: <laughs> yes, I'm. <know. laughs> I'm sorry.
0: About Unabashedly. That. I was, well, I no, mean, I I, 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 I feel very honored because one of my forte is I love introducing people that I know <laughs> to other people that I know that they should know. I mean, so to me, it was a natural.
1: But the the way that, uh, and again, this will unfold in our conversation. The way that. We discovered each other. He discovered me. Uh, he was silently there in the background when I started my own podcast. But you know, there was a lot of ground to cover before that moment. Happened. This is this so, is the know, unexplained. This is the unexplained. The unexplained happened in that happenstance by chance way. Um, I've been working on LBC, which was owned by an organization that is now defunct called Chrysalis Media, uh, linked to the Chrysalis Record Company. They decided to go into radio. They thought, uh, let's buy a talk station and do talk radio, not um, how do we do this? Let's just buy a talk station and we'll copy the BBC and put some commercials on with it as well. And we'll see how it goes. Uh, It was not hugely successful. And after a period, I think of two years of working on the Morning Drive show with Nick Ferrari there, who was a big fan and supporter of of mine, which he remains to this day, um, I and a lot of other people got canned for the first time in my life. Can you imagine that feeling? I've been used to- Wait, it Howard Hughes got canned? I got canned from LBC. It broke my heart because I'd never been canned. People were looking for my services at that time. So it never dawned on me that- financial constraints on an organization would result in me being got rid of. Now, Nick Ferrari marched up to the management at LBC, and I don't mind telling this story now. It's 2004, it's a long time ago, and that company who owned LBC don't exist anymore, so it's fine. Went up to management and said, you have made a mistake. And they said, it is essential for our business that Howard is not here. And these other people who we've got rid of as well. So I went out the door and was considering what to do. Nick Ferrari phoned me. And he said, uh, in this business, people come, they go, and I've observed it all over the years. In your case, this is a travesty was the word that he used, and I want to help you. What can I do? And I said, well, Nick, it's very sweet of you. I don't think you can do anything to help me. You know, I'm out. I'll take a little holiday. I'll come back and have a great big think about what the hell comes next. He said, I will phone Kelvin. Kelvin McKenzie was the man who ran Talk Sport. A massive station nationally in the UK that did a mix of talk and sport, and uh, Kelvin. To cut a long story short, yeah. Let Sam me, let me ask
0: you one thing. technically,
1: yeah. it, we have a huge country. You know, it's a
0: three thousand miles. You know, as the crow flies from LA to New York, England is small enough that a major station can cover the country as opposed to having to have a network. Is that correct?
1: Well, through a network of transmitters. Uh, Don't forget, we're very much into digital radio now. So for Talk Sport, which uh, still exists and is absolutely thriving as the number one commercial uh, station in this country, uh, to reach people digitally, it's probably got a network of something like 100 uh, digital transmitters in localities and neighborhoods. Uh, On AM, where the station started... Then you could cover the United Kingdom probably in six main transmitters, mm, okay. uh, fifty kilowatt thereabouts, uh, maybe seventy-five k. Uh, but that will cover the entire United Kingdom. And don't forget, of course, as I discovered when I went on to Talksport myself with the unexplained, uh, by night on a Saturday night. Uh, in fact, it's more or less in the time slot I used to be on back in two thousand and four to two thousand and six. You go on air on AM on big transmitters in England, and they hear you in the south of Spain. They hear you in Germany. They hear you in Ah. Oslo, Norway. They hear you in Stockholm. They'll hear you across towards Russia. So I was reaching the same kind of audience that our bell was reaching. Exactly. That was after Kelvin McKenzie at TalkSport had said, do you want to do a show here on Saturday night? I've got a slot. We can try something out. What would you like to do? Guess what I said. (laughs) 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 And that is the story of how I was able to get the Unexplained for the first time on the air. And we hit the ground running. They came to me at the end of the first show and they said, you sound like you've been doing this forever. And in a way, it was then 2004, I'd spent seven years preparing it in my head. Wow.
0: So Art really did turn your career on its head.
1: He did, but I don't know, Richard, we've never, you and I, we've talked many times off air. We've never talked about these things, but I personally believe, and I think Art probably believes, I'm sure he believes, that very few things in our lives are random. Things happen when they're meant to. And if you want seriously to do a thing, it will probably, if it is meant to be, be brought to you. And that has been the nature of my life. And that has been, it's been a bizarre path. Good God, has it been a bizarre path. So the things that I'm meant to do, I end up doing. And I'm sure that is how this crazy business called living in this reality if it, it is reality is, is, mm-hmm. is uh, configured is the word I was looking for.
0: Yeah, a little later in the show, I, I want to get into some of the th- ways that this material, this subject, uh, uh, you know, set of topics, set of uh, explorations has personally influenced you because you just dropped a kind of a casual thing there. You said, if this is reality and see, it, it's that Ability to look at life in a in a different way, like only uh, Dickinson, you know, tell all the truth but tell it slant. Art gave us that perception that maybe the things we automatically assume, we shouldn't automatically assume so much.
1: Right? Absolutely true. I mean, my life before art fell when I was a kid was full of weird coincidences. I can remember I, I had one. Tell of you my what, first... Hold it there. We're at the right, top of the we'll, hour. We'll pick it up.
0: And we will pick it up on the other side. My guest this morning is Howard Hughes. And you've now heard that Howard Hughes' life and career and direction was changed by our mutual friend, Art Bell. Art, if you're listening, this is another one for you. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, who would not be sitting in this chair behind this microphone if it weren't for Art. So we shall return. Here it's where the story is. this is good. Knowing me, we you. There is nothing we can do. Knowing me, we you. We just have to face it. It's time we I'm gonna take in know this I silly to I'm to give you, I want to talk to you in the audience around the planet tonight. I want to talk to you about the kind of meta objectives of the Enterprise mission and The Other Side of midnight. this radio show that you're listening to right now. As you know, we have sponsored a number of important research projects through this show over the last couple, three years. We've raised money for electrogravitics, for M-Drive research. Um, we're looking very hard now at this whole orgone accumulator technology, and I want to use the Acutron, this inertial sensor, which I developed following the lead of Bruce De Palma many, many decades ago, to put the Acatron in an orgone situation, in the accumulator or in an orgone blanket, these multi-layered uh, concoctions that somehow seem to trap or densify the ether. And yes, ether is real. There is a physics of the ether, And the problem is that it all costs money. It all costs funds. So we've added a new wrinkle to the Other Side of Midnight website. Over on the left-hand side, if you go to theothersideofmidnight.com and just look over on the left, you'll see under the uh, banners which say things like Home, Tonight Show, there's a Donate button. And there's also some Donate buttons in the middle of the page if you uh, happen to get the right show. But mainly over on the left, it says Donate Now. Normally, I don't like asking folks for money, but money is energy. Money is the ability in this culture to do things, to accomplish things. And as Father Tiso said a moment ago, there is a huge need and necessity for a game changer. We need to bring humanity back together to realize its commonality and not its differences. And that's in part what this show is trying to do with a variety of programs and part of our research effort is trying to do with a variety of of, uh, projects there. So if you have some spare change, if you have more than spare change, go to that button, go to the left hand, donate now button and click on it and send us what you can spare because communication in the 21st century costs, everything costs, but communication more than anything costs because you have transmitters and internet connections and bright people and complexity of computers. Oh my God, complexity of computers. It all ultimately has to be paid for somehow. And as you know, you can also join Club 19.5. That's an easy way to support the show because then you get archives, you get seminars, you get this thing we're going to be doing in the next few weeks on how to look at these images. And um, there are ways you can look that will give you insights to what you're seeing that will not be found uh, on NBC or CBS or ABC. So again, go to the left-hand side of tonight's show page or the guest page, click on the donate button and send us what you can spare because believe me, every dollar helps. That member used to chat about the show during the show, and you will have a direct channel to post a question that will be read on the air to the guest. And you'll have a place to post questions during our open hailing frequencies. We realize that not everyone wants to call in live, and this gives you an easy way to participate in a live show without having to participate. Club 19.5 members can use this private chat to talk about the shows, ask questions, suggest new guests. And I may even pop on from time to time to answer specific questions. Also, the entire Bridge crew is in these participating chat channels, so you can interact with them as well. You'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.